Welcome to Comic Culture. Your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across mediums and multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics. I'm Trey. This is Jojo. And I'm Petey. Welcome back, guys. We're excited for this episode. We've got a lot to talk about and to dive into. Um, how are you guys doing? Good. Really good. Doing well. Barely have time to take care of my child with all these trailers that are dropping. Yeah, let's talk about that. What? So the I guess I'll bring it up first. We have that Black Widow trailer and the um, Jupiter's Legacy trailer that, that dropped. Both look... Pretty awesome, Black Widow. You know, we've been we've been waiting for over a year now for that to come out. They keep pushing it back, but I think that new trailer, at least for me, it's got me it's got me really pumped to see. Yeah, it. I I was really enjoying it, enjoying it too, especially after reading the comics so fresh. Um, we have also got another Marvel coming out soon, which is the Loki trailer came out, and that was awesome. Um, and then we've got the another animated DC film, which is Batman: The Long Halloween. Um, which is one of probably the most famous Batman stories, I'd say next to Batman Hush. Um, it's really, really famous and popular. So it'll be interesting to see how they adapt that onto an animated uh, movie. And then kind of moving on from trailers, uh, Invincible is now on episode four. So it looks like they dropped three episodes on March 26th to kind of rope you into their universe. And then it looks like they're going to do a weekly uh, single episode drop. And then also, if you are curious, I believe it's called Justice Society. They have dropped two or three clips now, yeah. about a minute and a half long clips that are actually pretty action-packed. One of them has a full-on Flash scene. It's Flash versus some Nazis, so that's always fun. Cool stuff. Okay, we're moving on to kind of uh, the, the middle of our discussion and kind of jumping into this. Our first section, we're going to talk a lot, a lot about the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, we're going to take a few minutes and just break down the most recent episode. Um, there's a lot that went down. I think the biggest things that we kind of want to touch on today, um, are some of the characters that we were reintroduced to. Um, I think Zemo is the most interesting of them, but I want to talk a little about agent Carter as well. Um, I personally thought her appearance was, was good. Uh, I liked seeing her again. I think Sharon Carter was a, a fun side character in winter soldier. Um, and I like that the tire back to cap so much with her being, um, Agent Carter's, the other Agent Carter's, um, I think it's, is it niece? Um, I thought it was really cool. what do you guys think of her appearance? So I personally love that her helping Steve and Sam left her completely screwed. And I love how, and I'm going to clarify why I say I love that. I love how she's pretty bitter and how she kind of breaks the kind of stained glass image, this beautiful image we have of Civil War, everything ended great. Everybody ended up becoming friends again because of Infinity War. And it's like, well, actually your decisions ruined a lot of lives. And Sharon Carter is a perfect example of it. She's living in Madripoor. She can't go home. Her family doesn't even know where she is all because she busted Steve and Sam's gear out of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. So I like that little backhanded comment. And I think I'm here for it. Yeah, and I think it was... She said, yeah, that's the difference, is versus was, right, when she responds to Sam Wilson. I really enjoyed that, too, because 
you don't even really think about that. You're just like, oh, that makes total sense. And the fact that she points out that, you know, because they're big name heroes, they got their names cleared, but because she was just a small agent, she totally got screwed over, right? And so it makes you definitely, as, as Trey and both PD said, makes you really appreciate how they reintroduced her. Yeah, it also, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with her now because um, they, they definitely show that she's got some connections in the, the underground. So I'm curious to see if there's going to be some more ties to the power broker or to some more of these big underground characters. It'll be, it'll be cool to see how they tie that back in. And I doubt they'll go this route, but I mean, as far as we know, they could make her almost a villain because she's so bitter. I mean, she could be playing them the whole time. And I, I got that vibe a little bit. So we'll, we'll see if that's actually where they're going with it. Um, aside from Agent Carter, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about my favorite part of this episode, which was Zemo. Um, I thought Zemo was a really cool character in um, Civil War, but what I didn't like is that I didn't get that classic Zemo. I really wanted to see the purple mask and the, the nice cool coat with the fur on it. I really liked that look. Um, and we got it. We got the classic Zemo in this one. Um, and I thought it was done really well. Uh, I want to kind of open up to you guys. What do you think of, first of all, how they reintroduced him, his character overall? What do you guys think? For me, I, I really liked how they reintroduced him because I feel like they elevated his, his character to the point where they kind of put him on uh, the same level as like Killmonger or... Thanos in the in the sense that you totally understand his his point of view you totally get where he's coming from whereas in Civil War I kind of felt like oh here's this bitter guy and yeah it kind of sucks what happened but I didn't really have any sympathy for him but now with him in the series you like I said you really connect with him and you're like wow that's what he's talking about and you can totally see it I think it's interesting too to put him on the pedestal of kind of royalty um I think it was easy to feel like, well, he lost his family, his actions in civil war. He wasn't risking anything. He didn't have anything to lose, right? He'd already lost everything. That's not the case at all. The guy has an empire, basically. He's a man of extreme wealth, of extreme class, of extreme respect. And he was willing to throw that away to avenge his family, which I think puts a lot more weight back into his actions. Whereas like Jojo said, you may have kind of just taken him for granted as the token villain. Um, as far as Bucky just kind of going ahead and bailing him out of prison and all that, I didn't, I didn't personally love that. I think it is going to be kind of a recurring theme of like John Walker's willing to do whatever it takes, just like Sam and Bucky, but it's okay for Sam and Bucky because they aren't Captain America and Captain America should be held to a higher standard. But that's that I still don't love their running around breaking massive amounts of laws and people dying and they're kind of like oh why'd you kill him okay all right i guess don't do it again like it just i'm having trouble relating to them on that level if i'm being honest i thought you were here for the gray area characters in marvel but we're pretend i am here for the gray characters of marvel but they don't paint sam and bucky as gray characters they are supposed to be the heroes and they're gonna get the heroes treatment just like sharon carter says except that they're not acting like heroes Fair that's enough. my issue that's a, a definitely an, an interesting thing to, to look at and to analyze. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit, uh, basically off the mic, that I thought it was uh, 
kind of crazy that they just broke him out of jail like it was nothing. Okay, cool. Yeah, we can just break him out of jail. He'll help us out. And unfortunately, that is, it's pretty comic book tropey to, to work with the villain to accomplish a similar goal. Um, but on that note, on Zemo's front, what I did like about it is it's totally understandable why he'd work with them because he's terrified of the super soldier serum. Um, one thing that surprised me is, first of all, it didn't surprise me and I loved it when he murdered the doc who created it because it means no one else can get the super soldier serum. But what surprised me is I thought he was going to use that to escape. And we see him kind of fight guys and run away, but he was just finding an exit for them. And he came back to, to pick them up in the car, which was surprising to me because I kind of thought he was using that as his means out. But in his mind, his mission is to get rid of all the super soldiers because he doesn't trust them. So I really enjoyed the fact that, oh no, he's in this to the end. He's not done until the flag smasher and all these other super soldiers are taken care of. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, and off of that, what you were saying, I think it was like very methodical. You can tell that he's an intelligent person because I thought the same thing. I thought he was just going to, that was his opportunity to just kind of go on his own and maybe on his own go after the flag smashers. But yeah, it, it looks like he's playing the long game and, and really going to try to reap the, the benefits of, of being with Sam and with Bucky. And I really buy his investment in it. I really, I do buy that aspect of his personality he almost strikes me as a guy who would go back to prison voluntarily and serve out the rest of his time he he has kind of a strict code and he follows it and he's while i don't like watching him kill people he doesn't seem to do it senselessly he seems to have a reason for everything that he does and i think if there's going to be a villain or an anti-hero gets that kind of screen time that's a requirement for sure yeah, and just ending talking about him, I want to spotlight uh, his line that to me is the best quote we've gotten um, out of Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I have it pulled up. I'm just going to read it. It's when he's talking to Bucky and he says, you must have really looked up to Steve, huh? But I realized something when I met him, the danger with people like him, America's super soldiers, is that we put them on pedestals. They become symbols, icons, and then we start to forget about their flaws. From there, cities fly, innocent people die, movements are formed, wars are fought. You remember that, right? As a young soldier sent to Germany to stop a mad icon, do we want to live in a world full of people like the Red Skull? And that comparison of putting Captain America on the same, same pedestal as Red Skull, because it is, you have these ideals, and he's saying, just because they stand for something good, is it great that we're putting them on these pedestals that are, are godlike? And I really thought that was relatable. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It made me think tying it to U.S. agent, right? Because I feel like now U.S. agent's kind of in, in that light where he's, he's put on a pedestal. And it made me think of the uh, Stanford prison experiment. Um, I won't go too into it, but it's basically this experiment that Stanford did in attempt to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power. I totally understand where U.S. agent is coming from now with the perspective of this Stanford prison experiment. He was given this title, he was given the uniform, and he's just he's just using that to try to, to try to get things done, right? And it goes back to what Zemo was saying of putting these people up on a pedestal, right? I think with the title, with the uniform, it elevates that person's um, belief in themselves. And then you only add on top of that what the rest of the media or the rest of society is going to do. It's only going to amplify that so much more, more right? 
for sure. I think I think this monologue by Baron Zemo is is a top top five kind of quote from the Marvel universe. When he said it, I I just I like I just like kind of fist pumped. I was just like, I'm very glad that we're going to have this conversation on screen and not just trust the viewers to make these connections on their own. For him to lay it out like that, it makes me a little bit sad that we're gonna apply this problem that we had with Steve to someone else and maybe never really go back and look at Steve's flaws. We're just going to say, Oh, looking forward to the next cap, we should examine him as a real person and evaluate his flaws. I get that that's going to happen, but I think it's awesome that he said that because he respected and understood why Bucky looked up. He wasn't talking down to Bucky when he said, you must've really looked up to him. He's like, I totally get that. I get why you as a soldier would have looked up to Captain America. Here's the problem. Here's my point of view, which is completely valid. It was very well said. It was something that's maybe several movies overdue, if we're being honest. And I really enjoyed that. And I thought, okay, not buying in 100% to a lot of different aspects of this show. But if you're telling me that this is kind of your emotional, kind of your first punch, okay, I'm willing to see where this goes over the next three episodes. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great way to end off this section. Um, really quick, just off of that too. I think that's one of the things that the series are doing really well is emphasizing the points with these great quotes. I mean, we have the quote in WandaVision that Vision talks about with grief. And now we're getting this talking about kind of icons and symbols. Um, really quick before we close, Trey, do you have any defenses you want to give about US agent since you always have something you want to say about <laughs> advocating for him? Sure, yeah. I thought both of those scenes that he were in was he was in were pretty terribly written. Um, I thought that it was like, hey, let's open and give the people what they are expecting, which is him being a jerk, finally. And he basically just yelled at some guy that, do you know who I am? Uh, I thought that was a terrible scene, if I'm being honest. And then it closed with him basically saying, kind of unnecessarily almost, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes. Like, you could just show us, right? I mean, that's the sign of a good scene, a good movie. You don't have to spell things out for the audience. Wasn't overly impressed with either of those. I felt like they were just trying to move their own agenda as far as, hey, just don't forget. He's kind of likable, but like, don't forget you're not supposed to like him. And here's why. Those two scenes didn't do it for me, if I'm being honest. And I wanted to see more of him. So was pretty bummed out that was all we got. Yeah. Well, I think that's, for me anyway, just to kind of rebuttal that, I think that's the whole point was this perceived power, right? Is because of the title, because of the uniform, it's going to give this give him this entitlement, right? It's a psychological thing, I think. Yeah, I, I wanted to see more of him too, actually, and I'm not even a huge fan of him yet. So I wanted to have a chance to like him, but they didn't really give us that in this one. So for the record, I believe that he is going to take advantage of that power. I'm just saying, if I'm supposed to not like him, show me, don't tell me. Yep, that's yeah. the, the form of a good writer. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next section. Awesome. So kind of this is kind of like the meat of the discussion and all three of us are are very excited for the these next two topics with it being Dr. Doom and Secret Wars. Um, so this week our character spotlight is on Dr. Doom and as you guys probably guessed I didn't know a lot about him. Um, I mean the the way I was introduced to Dr. Doom unfortunately was through the original Fantastic Four um, movies, and those were not great, right? I, I thought Dr. Doom was hit with the same, whatever it was, radiation or whatnot, what they showed with, with the movie with um, 
Jessica Alba. I mean, really, that was the only thing that intrigued me in that movie when I was 10 years old, is <laughs> Jessica Alba being in it, right? <laughs> and so I thought, oh, Dr. Dooms is this just evil villain, and he shoots lightning out of his hands. And that's like, so wrong on so many levels like as I dove into this I was just like holy cow like why did they get this so wrong and they did it in both movies right and I think that's why it was such a dud for both of them is because they totally got his character wrong so yeah let's let's get into it so we learned that that Victor Von Doom his mother was a witch right and she was practicing dark magic um and then so obviously through her he 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 can become a, a sorcerer but before that, she kind of makes a, a bad deal with Mephisto, uh, right? And she gets trapped in hell, and which is which is pretty tragic. It, it sucks. It was a, a terrible situation. And then we find out that his father was in charge of kind of he was a doctor taking care of one of the barons. Um, I think it was his wife, and she was going to die. She had cancer or something like there was no way that he would be able to save her. But the Baron, he's upset because he, he thinks that uh, Victor's father didn't, didn't do enough to save her. So now he's basically hunting him down. So in that Victor's father takes Victor when he was young, probably less than 10 years old. And they're like running into the mountains, into the forest, trying to run away from the Baron's guards or whatnot, this, this mob that's after them. And it's freezing. This is it's just cold, right? Well, the next morning, Victor wakes up to his dad frozen, holding him, and he's not strong enough to break out of his dad's dad's arms because he's he's frozen solid, right? Which is awful, like terrible, terrible. So you have, you know, a mother who's damned in hell, and then you have your father who you're stuck in his frozen carcass right like not a great way to start life right and so he kind of becomes obsessed and he's and as I was diving into this um I I think one of the, his first motives or one of the things that pushed him into kind of this narcissistic uh persona is that he was stuck in the phase of grief with anger and bargaining right he didn't have time to go through the process of truly grieving with what you guys understand his very beginning before he becomes Dr. Doom and stuff. Is there any lessons or is there anything that you guys can draw from that or maybe understand from, from what he's been through? I think he yeah. very much built, he picks himself up by the boot, his bootstraps and kind of everything he gets from that point on, he, he pretty much earns. And I think that lends itself to a very, very developed sense of self-esteem and, and ego. Um, but he has clearly seen that what he is capable of. And most of what drives doom, and we'll talk about this, is a very, very concrete belief that he is the best man for the job in almost every situation. And it's not out of greed or anything. He just thinks, I am the best person to do this. I should be in charge. And I can appreciate that. Yeah, I think up to this point, I mean, it's kind of one of those it's a little bit of a different take, but the same idea of the classic tragedies that, that superheroes and villains have that lead into their, their backstory. Um, so on that end, I think um, it's pretty common, but it's a lot darker than you usually get. I mean, it's one thing to have your parents murdered or shot in front of you, which is pretty common in comics, 
but having one of them who is basically done a, a deal with the devil and is stuck in hell. And then the other one, I'm getting like a, a Jack Nicholson, like the shining type view of your frozen dad just hugging you in this maze, which I know isn't the case, but that's kind of the, the scene I'm getting in my head. And I'm like, that's a pretty dark, I'm just imagining like a boy being stuck in his father's arms while his dad's frozen dead. That's a pretty, pretty dark tone to, to start out your life with. Absolutely. And I think I, going back to what Trey said, he just picked himself up, right? He totally was self-reliant and was just like, all right, you know what? I'm going to fix this. And part of his motivation is how can I save my mom, right? Which is very honorable. He, he wants to save her from, from kind of this deal that, that went wrong. And so he, he kind of dips himself into sorcery, but then he also realizes, you know, I need, to, I need to be more than just this one tool guy, right? And so he becomes obsessed with science as well. And then that's when he kind of gets introduced to uh, Reed Richards um, in, in his time in college. They develop this bitter rivalry. Um, they're both the smartest guys. If one guy is not correcting the professor, the other one is. Um, and then there's an experiment that Victor is, is conducting and Reed Richards tells him, hey, you made a mistake. This is what it is. But out of pride, obviously, and, and this bitter rivalry, he kind of just brushes it off and ignores him. Um, that's kind of up to interpretation, whether he thinks, you know, Reed is just trying to mess with him or if he's just so prideful that he doesn't want to take advice from from Reed. And that, for me, it's it's the latter, right? So then the, the machine explodes and that's when he scars his face. Um, and then he gets kicked out of the university for, for obviously <laughs> blowing a machine up, right? Putting people in danger. Were they um, at Empire State? Yes. Remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so after he gets kicked out, you know, he goes and he finds um, these Tibetan monks that create an armor for him. And while the steel is still piping hot, he puts it on his face. Now, from my understanding, when Jack Kirby created the character, the, the scar that was left on his face isn't as brutal as, as we may think it was. Um, it's kind of like a minor, minor scar on his face. But him being the narcissist that he is and upholding this image, he's, you know, devastated, right? And so he makes a decision, puts this, this like I said, piping hot steel mask on his face to only make it worse so do you guys think that there was there was purpose behind that and writing it that way i would say yes i had to think about that for a sec um i do think it's a very good sign of his ego to say okay i've got this scar i'm going to just completely cover it up and make it worse so basically the mask is getting put on me and i am becoming it i think it's almost a sign of rebirth into this new character so it's like that, that science loving, maybe egotistical is still there, but he's been reborn into something more powerful, um, more of a symbol, again, going back to that word, um, more of an icon of something um, that is more powerful, more godlike, um, and more terrifying, to be honest. Well, I, I think the idea that the scar was not really that big, I believe I read somewhere that it was it was like a three inch scar or something where you would notice it, but it wouldn't, 
It was not horrible disfigurement. I think it's a very interesting sign kind of of his instability. And it's, it's almost a mental health thing where he almost said like a dysmorphia thing where he looks in the mirror and sees something that's not really there, which led him to the unbelievably rash decision of putting the horribly hot mask right on his face. The scar wasn't that bad, wouldn't have changed his life in any dramatic way. And after putting on the mask, he then basically blew half his face off and was like, like impossible to look at essentially. So I think that's kind of what they're trying to say is that he's a little bit out of touch with reality and he can't, he doesn't see himself the way other people do, which leads him to make a lot of the emotional decisions that he does. I do think it's worth mentioning. He was friends with Reed and Ben Grimm in college. Like they had a rivalry, but like overall they were friends. Um, So one of my favorite scenes regarding doom, and I'm honestly drawing a blank on which comic it was from initially I thought it was from secret wars, but it turns out it's not, I believe it's from um, another kind of world ending level comic. Ben Grimm goes to Latveria and doom is gone for whatever reason. And he sees a little girl kind of climbing through the rubble of her house. And he kind of goes over to help her. And he says like, Oh, I bet you guys are all relieved that doom is gone. And the little girl, she's like six carrying a teddy bear. She like turns and looks at him and she's like, what why would you even say that we love doom like doom protects us he takes care of us he will come down from his throne and physically defend us like he doesn't send the latvarian army he puts on his armor and he goes and he fights for these people and he took latveria from a third world country to being like a wakanda level utopia and this conversation just floors ben Grimm, who thought he was just an egotistical maniac that he went to college with And then shortly after Ben is going through his office, I think they're looking for him. I can't remember. And he sees there's like one picture. There's like one framed picture in this entire place in every piece of property they've searched of dooms. And it's a picture of Ben and Reed and doom from college. And he just like sits down and he's just like, son of a gun. He really did care about us after all. And I thought this guy is horribly misrepresented in pop culture in the movies in it just these are all the things that build up to me getting really upset when i read the end of secret wars i'll just give you kind of that cliffhanger (laughs) yeah i think and off of that i think you know we hear the phrase that the victors are the ones that write history and is that applicable to comics i think when you dive into it yeah you can still apply it to that because you're right. I think in a lot of, and that's probably the the best example there. And I, I didn't know that, the one that you brought up just now. Um, but the perspective, the viewpoint, a lot of these comics is from the, the opposite side of Doom, which is the superheroes, right? So again, the, his, the, the victors are the ones that write history. So in this case, you know, you're going to amplify, you're going to kind of point out the, the negative, the evil the evil side of people. And I think that's what's done so well with Dr. Doom is that the core value of who he is, no matter what series he's in, whether they paint him as a villain, whether they paint him as an anti-hero or as a hero, his core values stay the same. And I think that's why he's such an awesome character is you don't have to do much at all to his moral code to paint them to paint him in any of these categories, right? 
Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the next um, piece that I want to go into is what are you guys' views as far as an overall kind of umbrella look at Dr. Doom? Do you guys see him more as a hero, an anti-hero, or straight villain as he's primarily portrayed in the comics? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take that. I think overall, I still see him as a villain, um, but I've talked about this before. I think the term villain is becoming more loosely used um, just for anyone that necessarily doesn't have as clear of a code or someone who um, is basically willing to do any means to get what they want. Um, with that said, I think he's one of those villains that I really enjoy reading about because he has a purpose and it's not just, oh, I want to conquer the world. I'm so done with power hungry villains. And yes, he's power hungry, but not because he just wants it. He genuinely believes, like Trey said, I can do better than anybody else. And that's why I want to do good. And you see that with Latveria. He's taken it to Utopian. So why wouldn't he think he can take over the world? Um, and those are the types of villains that I think are the most interesting. The ones that will dive onto the hero side when it plays to their advantage. Um, I think that's one thing that Doom does a really good job of. And um, in most situations, I think he plays the villain, but he still has these moments um, where you're like, oh, I, I see why he did that. I completely understand um, where he's coming from there. I, I personally have a hard time putting the label on a villain on him at all. I think a lot of it comes down to perspective. I think Captain America, very few Americans would ever label him as a villain. And yet when he goes to war on behalf of the United States, I bet people on the other side would be very unhappy to see him. And I think if all of the country that he leads as a benevolent dictator sees him as a hero, regardless of my personal opinion, I can't really label him a villain. I think at worst he could occasionally be an anti-hero. He's very much in the vein of a Namor who has a domain, which is, you know, for Namor, it's Atlantis, for Doom, it's Laveria. And he consistently does what is best for that domain. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's what I expect out of those people. I don't expect Doom to go to war on behalf of Americans. And as a result, I think he's a hero. Now there's a couple of times where his ego leads him to do different things that maybe aren't the best. I don't think Secret Wars is really one of those. So I'm very excited to get extremely worked up in about the next six minutes about that. Um, but yeah, it's hero for me and occasionally anti-hero based on the way the story goes. Yeah, and I think off of that, one of Doom's biggest flaws is that he is so obsessed with doing what is right that at times he forgets to ask that necessary question, like, am I doing more harm than good, right? And I really think that that's probably the biggest difference between him and these other superheroes, right? Um, I mean, you could, you could give him a hard time for him being so vain or so narcissistic, but I mean, he can't be any more vain than Tony Stark is, right? But we don't label him as a villain. Yet he has these established morals and, and this code of ethics that you can compare to Captain America. Yet, like you just said, we don't, we don't consider Captain America uh, a villain, right? So I also have a hard time seeing him as just a villain. Um, I even have a hard time seeing him as an anti-hero because although a lot of his uh, means to ends is questionable, I respect what he does. Now, would I be comfortable in his shoes to do that? I don't think so. But I, every time from what I've read, and especially in Secret Wars, I 
I'm like, okay, that makes total sense. And I agree with what, with what he did. So with that, let's kind of dive into Secret Wars and then we'll kind of bring it back and wrap up um, our, our breakdown of Doctor Doom that way. Awesome. So we're going to talk about Secret Wars. And just to clarify, this is the 2015 version of Secret Wars. I know absolutely nothing about the original. I believe it shared very few things in common with this new version. I think just that Doom was a main player and the name Secret Wars. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a lot else to go off of. Um, with that said, Secret Wars shares a lot of similarities to Death Metal, which we covered recently. And that is part of what sparked this discussion. Basically what happened was in 2015, Marvel found themselves running two universes side by side. They were running the kind of original Marvel continuity side by side with the ultimate Marvel universe, which not a lot of things survived from the Marvel universe. Uh, the biggest one being Miles Morales, who everyone loves and we're all glad that he eventually joined the main continuity. He's probably the biggest name and most of the other characters ended up being kind of alternate versions where they were either, either evil or took up a different role. Like for example, Cyclops, I believe had the Phoenix force. I think Wolverine became Cable. So just a lot of kind of mixing and matching. Personally for me, the ultimate Spider-Man run where Peter kind of grows up and then, and then dies is one of my favorite Spider-Man runs ever. But aside from that, they found themselves kind of at a, at, a, at a point where they had to either merge or kind of close one down. Um, essentially, they pitched this in the comic, on the panels, as the two worlds are colliding and they don't know who's going to survive. And the story opens basically with Reed Richards kind of going into action mode. And he's basically gathering a, an escape pod and he's saying, okay, let's grab the best, the brightest of us there's nothing we can do now. We're just going to have to rebuild with the 12 of us who are most qualified, which obviously included in that group was his entire family. So take your judgments from that. On the other hand, we had the ultimate universe kind of preparing for the same reality bending collision with uh, Reed Richards, who in this version was kind of evil and was even smarter. And I believe he was called the maker. And they were also making similar preparations. And the first issue ends kind of with that collision. Now, as it ends, you get this awesome shot of doom and you kind of get this feeling like okay he's going to be a big player and what you find out is while reed was gathering his family and friends into an escape pod and flying away doom ended up staying there and kind of taking what was broken and piecing it back together into a world that was livable uh, he did that through a lot of really complicated things going and collecting power from different sources the end result was a world that he pieced together with different pieces of reality and characters from both universes where he was God and he was considered God Emperor, God Emperor Doom. Can never get that straight. God Emperor Doom. He was wearing a white robe. His armor was gold. His right hand man was Dr. Strange. The people were happy. Um, they didn't really have like a memory of what had happened, but they were overall pretty happy. He had an army of Thors who would kind of defend the citizens and, and kind of went back to his thing of ruling a country, pulling it out of the scraps and, and putting it back together. Um, we inevitably get two space pods kind of landing in the area, one being full of the cabal, which is a series of villains, and the other being Reed Richards and the members of his family that survived in addition to, I believe, Spider-Man, Black Panther, and a couple other mainstays. So from here, basically they're met by Doctor Strange who says like, 
Okay. To clarify, Doctor Strange was the right-hand man all along. He's very aware that this world was pieced back together by Doom, and he's one of... He is basically the only person who's aware of that. Yeah, he is, and then Molecule Man, who's like the power source. Yeah, and we'll get to the Molecule Man for sure, in as much as I'm able to explain what he does. Um, Strange meets this space pod, can kind of confronts them, says, hey, what are you doing? Are you coming in peace or whatnot? And they basically relate to him that they... Don't know what's happened, but they remember the world before before this new Doom world, which is called Battle World. And he realizes kind of, oh my gosh, the shtick is up, right? There's people here now that know that this wasn't how things always were, and this is going to be bad. Um, inevitably, this team says, oh, well, there's a world where, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't the world that we came from. This isn't how the world is supposed to be. So inevitably, they decide to stage a coup against God Emperor Doom. Um, Doom confronts them, kind of starts to just dominate them, right? Because he has basically limitless power that, that he used to build this world and take care of the people. And at the last moment, Doctor Strange kind of sends them all away to protect them. He turns to Strange and he's essentially like, why'd you do that? Bring them back. You know, we need to take care of this. And Strange is like, no, I know you would kill them. And he's like, okay, well, you know that by disobeying me, you know what I have to do. And he's like, yeah, I do. And he, he kills him. So... Doom is very much ruling by an iron fist. Um, you do get the impression that this is what he genu genuinely believes is best for the world, right? They, he does not believe that the people would benefit from knowing that their previous lives and previous earth and all these other people that they were friends with and related to had all died in this horrible collision, right? So he believes that the best thing for these people is to live on this new world. So he's trying to do everything possible to keep that reality in place. Um, ultimately, <clears throat> he ends up facing off with Reed Richards who found the source of his power, which was the molecule man that we had mentioned before. And they're kind of thrown down and doom goes to kind of access his limitless power, which comes from the molecule man. And the molecule man kind of has this running joke of, uh, did you bring me anything to eat? And up to this point, the only person who's ever brought him anything to eat was miles Morales. And that's kind of a cool moment. Um, you know, miles is a thoughtful kid. That's, comes across through the panels in that moment. But going back to the throwdown between Reed and Doom, neither of them brought him anything to eat. Now that seems like a minor detail and I had a hard time buying into the very, very large implications that came from it. But ultimately because of that, he decided to withhold the power from Doom and basically made them fight, you know, hand to hand. Actually Doom was basically powerless at this point and Reed had his Mr. Fantastic abilities. They inevitably argue and Reed basically says, you know, I would have done a better job than you would. And what maybe is lost in this panel, if you aren't a Fantastic Four or a Doom or a Reed Richards fan, is that is kind of the giant insecurity that Doom has. No matter how qualified he is, no matter how good of a job he does, he has this little voice in his head that says, Reed would have done a better job. And it's not always true. It's just there. It's an insecurity that won't go away. And when he says that, Doom responds, basically expressing that he does have that concern, that it is possible that Reed would have done a better job as the God Emperor of this world. And in that moment, the Molecule Man says, huh, sounds like you both agree. Okay. And basically resets the world and puts Reed in charge. And that's how it ends. Thoughts? It's a great way to start off the discussion. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I can, I can take this first of all, there's kind of a lot to dissect. 
Um, one of the biggest things I want to say, uh, this is a complete failure of a reboot. Um, I have read all of the DC reboots. I think DC is known for doing a reboot pretty frequently, all the way back to Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's the first one you get. And it's pretty clear. I think Crisis on Infinite Earths for its time was great. Similar idea, only instead of two Earths, it was thousands. And they collided it all into one. But it was very, very well done. And there was a big epic battle that led up to it. Lots of people died. It was cool. Secret Wars was completely different in the sense that I kept waiting for this, this climax, this thing to happen. And then, like you said, it was just like, oh, let me just hand the power over to Reed. And so there was no, there was such a buildup for it and such a tension that was created to be so let down. Um, that's kind of my starting, my starting thought for it is that it was just so uh, disappointing that this is what they did for, for their reboot. Yeah, I agree. I and all of us have kind of discussed this and, and have come to the conclusion that it was just such lazy writing at the end. Um, it takes you down this path that you really are enjoying with the development of, of Doom's character. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of says, well, the, let's just make the heroes win again, right? And it was in such a way that was just so beyond lazy and so expected from a comic book that it just kind of left you feeling like, what on earth was I reading? Like, what was the whole point of, of this entire of this entire series? And for me, I struggled so much because you connect so much with Doom to the point where Reed almost comes off as this obnoxious character that's so emotionless. And then he ends up winning in the end anyway. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty disappointing to say the least. So my issues, and I, and I did my best to remain impartial while telling the story. I'm sure you could tell where I was going with it emotionally, uh, even still. My takeaway is you have Reed who sees this scenario and basically gives up on humanity. He says, "Oh, okay. The only way out of this is to start over. Let's pack up my friends and family, the smartest people around. We'll go. We'll dodge the bullet. We'll come back. We'll restart." Okay, it doesn't end up working. Sue ends up getting killed. He's basically left with nothing. But that was his choice. He made that choice. He's the smartest man in the world. And that was the decision he made. Doom, on the other hand, stayed on Earth, took it like a man, and rebuilt Earth the best he could. Did he build a perfect world? No, he did not. Did he take more power than was maybe necessary? Possibly. Again, he didn't do any of it out of maliciousness. And there's a whole scene that completely falls flat with Thanos challenges him and says, you took your this power for mortal gains. Thanos's goal was to kill half the world when he took godlike power. Doom was literally taking what was left and making the most out of it. It's the opposite. And one of the best scenes I've ever seen in comics is when Thanos says, I basically challenges Doom and he basically says, you know, I don't need the, the Infinity Gauntlet to take you. And Doom punches him in the chest and rips out his spine and just says, that appears untrue. Best, one of the best panels I have ever seen in my life. And he's just calm. He's not emotional. The only time that Doom ever gets emotional, and you can go back and look at the entire comic, the only time he ever gets emotional is when Reed Richards is involved. And that is his biggest flaw. He thinks less clearly when Reed is involved. But again, Reed's plan was selfish. It didn't work. 
that's fine. He's allowed to have ideas that don't work. But for the writers to embody themselves in the molecule, man, essentially the giver of power, and to basically say, okay, Doom's kind of saved everything. Reed failed. Doom saved everything. But ultimately, Reed's like a little bit smarter. So now that he's here, um, Doom, you can go. And we're just going to give Reed what you kind of put back together. Thanks for your time. I don't know how to justify that. Like, if this were the 90s, I would have written in. You know, they ask you to write in with your thoughts on the comic book. I would have mailed that postcard. I was so upset. I've been venting about this comic book story for six months. Now you get to do it on camera. <laughs> now I get to do it on the podcast. So thank you for listening. I guess I want to be honest, though. My biggest concern was maybe I missed something. I felt so emotionally invested in Doom that I had missed something, that, that there was a reason why I wasn't supposed to feel the way that I did. And so kind of choosing this as my section to, to read for us as a team, I was hoping that you guys would either validate my opinions or explain to me what I was missing. So actually a little taken aback that you guys felt almost as emotional about it as I did. So pretty validated. Marvel, hope you're listening. If you're going to adapt this to the MCU, you better do it better. Yeah, I think if I could have, when we were talking about kind of what we wanted to rate this for, um, you can see what we rated it for on our Instagram, but we gave it, I think it was, what was the overall, like a 3.5 or a 3? I believe it's a 3.5, yeah. Yeah, so that's our overall out of 5. Um my thing is I gave it a little bit higher than I think you guys got like a two or three. I gave it a 3.5 because if I were to take the first seven, maybe eight issues of this comic and rate those so cool. That moment that Trey's talking about with doom ripping out Thanos spine. I've seen that panel before because Trey sent it to me and I was just waiting for it. The whole series, like, when is it coming? When is it coming? It is visually stunning and such a good show of his power and his calmness. And you get a lot of these moments where he's literally just, Another one of my favorite moments is the political scene where there's basically an argument between the two barons um, and he resolves it and he's merciful to the people except for the, the one that was basically causing the whole issue um, and he causes him to die. And it goes back to that idea of, okay, it's a little of an extreme government, um, but he is a benevolent dictator. He is doing the best he can to pick up these pieces of a fallen world. And if you watch any post-apocalyptic movie in a fallen world, it's basically anarchy. So he took it and made it a pretty, I mean, a functioning socialistic environment and government and was running it for years, effectively. Um, and it intrigued me so much to learn more about Doom. Um, I'm kind of like JoJo in the sense that, I mean, as a kid, that was my first introduction was Fantastic Four. I was, I think, eight or nine when it came out. And so that just turned me off from his character for a long time. And I got more into comics. It was more interesting. And this was another one of those examples that Doom is such a cool character and one of the coolest characters in the Marvel Universe because of this ambiguity with him doing what's right according to him and not caring what other people think. Yeah, I agree. I think um, along the lines with what PD was saying that he ruled with an iron fist. Yeah, probably. But the fact that his subjects loved him, let's go beyond that. The fact that Sue loved him that they were, they were lovers and that Franklin and Valeria, he was a great dad. And I mean, this might be a hot take, but I would make the argument that he, he was probably a better, better father and a better, better husband than Reed Richards is because Reed Richards is so obsessed with doing what's right and fixing everything that he kind of puts his, his family secondary, like on the, on the back burner, right? Like he does an okay job, but that's not, 
it just seems like that's not his priority, right? Which can be kind of tied into what happens in Jupiter's legacy and the utopian and and maybe not to that extent where, because I mean, Franklin and Valeria are, are basically perfect children. Um, but yeah, I just, that's, that's just kind of what I felt. And I, going beyond it being lazy writing, like it's, it's not that it was just lazy writing. It was like they wrote themselves into a corner and someone made the decision for them of like, well, you have to find a way to end it with Reed Richards being the good guy. And it's, it just kind of takes you along this ride. And then all of a sudden you get to the destination and you're just like, what is going on? Like, this is not, this is not what I was expecting. And to your point with the, not to hound on the laziness, but Doom is not ousted by the sheer ability of Richards. The first, Reed and his alternate version, the maker, who is much more powerful than him, end up going to the, the Molecule Man and kind of making this decision that they're going to overthrow Doom. And Reed has kind of an emotional breakdown. He's allowed to have that. His wife died. But in that moment, the maker says, you know what, you're too emotional to rebuild a world. And he's going to take him out. And the Molecule Man bails him out almost for no reason. There is no explanation given. So there's one time where Reed was weak and he was bailed out. Then the fight with, with Doom, he's bailed out again. There's no explanation given for why or how Reed is more fit to rule the new world than Doom. The Molecule Man just bails him out again. And if you look at the Molecule Man as being the writers for the story and for Marvel in general, you just get a you just get them bailing him out left and right, telling you that, yeah, he's, he should probably be in charge because you like him, we like him, that's it. And the only difference between him and Doom is that he's branded a hero and has a family. That's really it. And kind of to kind of frame how it closes, Reed is giving kind of world-building power by uh, the Molecule Man and ends up kind of rebuilding the, the universe with the help of Franklin and kind of setting the pieces in place for how the Marvel universe is going to go forward. Very similar to what Wonder Woman gets at the end of death metal. Only you felt like she earned it. If I'm being honest. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I know we make that comparison between death metal and secret wars because of the fact that they are both, you know, uh, reboots, but the difference is Wonder Woman was clearly fighting an evil force that was trying to destroy everything. Whereas Doom was not doing that. Doom was trying to take what he could and, and make the best of it. Um, and so in the sense, I, I just don't see what Marvel was really thinking with, if you're going to frame the reboot with Reed, the ultimate goal is for Reed to get that power. You shouldn't have contrasted it with Doom doing a pretty decent job of saving the world. And Doom did all the heavy lifting, right? I mean, yeah. Reed, Reed failed, right? And then at the end, they were like, well... If he hadn't failed, though, he'd probably do a better job. So let's let's let, run it back, run it back. And that's there's no how do you buy into that as a reader? Well, that's the thing. And Doctor Doom being the main focus, and then just kind of be cast aside and be like, just kidding. Like, no, this is Reed Richards' world. It's it's just it's pretty frustrating. To wrap up Secret Wars, there is a very two very emotional scenes that come at the end, and and the the the, the story was not without beautiful moments it definitely was i mentioned earlier that of all the people that visited the molecule man the only one who had any food or gave him any food despite him asking every single person was miles morales pulled a hamburger out of somewhere in his suit and it seemed to really touch the molecule man nothing came of it at the time 
at the end of the story, when the molecule man is kind of resetting the universe, he basically says, you know, I remember what you did for me, Miles, and I'm going to throw you a bone. And Miles wakes up and he says, hey, mom, how's it going? He had given him kind of what only one person in the world could give him, which was his mother back. And it seemed like a small act, but it really illustrated who Miles was as a character. And then the other moment of kind of grandiose impact was we had talked about how despite being in control of the entire world, Doom had never been able to fix his face. And whether that was from narcissism or some kind of body dysmorphia type thing, when Reed rebuilt the world, he fixed Doom's face. And Doom kind of takes his mask off and looks in a mirror and touches his face and just laughs. And he realized that, you know, maybe he's realizing that Reed could do a better job. I'm not sure what he's realizing, but he was physically incapable, incapable of restoring his face. And that was a powerful moment. But then later in comics, it gets burned off again. So, <laughs> uh, Because comics. <laughs> I know we kind of harp on it. I think Trey hit it on the nail. There are, are some really great moments. It's still worth reading. Um, maybe just don't read the last two issues. Um, but it's... <laughs> and I have no idea how it ends. <laughs> nope, just read it. Just assume that Doom gets his own world and you'll love it. Um, I personally thought it was so cool seeing him take over this battle world. But anyways, that's not how it ended. I know with the three of us, maybe it's us against the world as far as um, seeing Doom as a, maybe not a villain for each of us, our, our definition of what he is may, may be a little bit different, but we have someone else in our corner and Trey, you may know this quote already, but um, so there's, a, there's this quote and it says, everybody has Dr. Doom misunderstood. Everybody thinks he's a criminal, but all he wants is to rule the world. Now, if you really think about it objectively, you could walk up to a policeman and you could say, excuse me, officer, I want to tell you something. I want to rule the world. He can't arrest you. It's not a crime to want to rule the world. So it's unfair that he's considered a villain because he just wants to rule the world. Then maybe he could do a better job of it. So I'm very interested in Dr. Doom and I'd like to clear his name. And the person that's behind that quote is Stan Lee his, himself. So which is awesome because when you first read that and you're just like, he just wants to rule the world, we're like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of bad. But are we not all like that in our own sense? And comics is obviously an, an exaggeration of reality. But it, if we really look within ourselves, that's all we really want. We want to be in control. We want to rule the world. And a lot of times we're, we're the only ones qualified and capable of doing that no different than Dr. Doom is justified in thinking that he's the one that's qualified and capable in, in ruling the world. And whether our, our world be just our family or our world be in our society, in, in the town or the city that we live in, or if it's even on a bigger scale, whether it be politics or whether it be soldiers in the field or doctors or you know, philanthropists, whatever it may be, we're just all very similar to Dr. Doom, more so than probably any other character in, in in comics in the sense that we just want to rule the world and there's nothing illegal or malicious about that at all. Um, any, any other thoughts that you guys have with either that quote, what we just discussed or anything else with Dr. Doom? I think, I think what that's, first of all, that's a bomb quote. I had read that, but I forgot that it was by Stanley himself. And I think another way of phrasing what he's saying, Doom wants to rule the world is, Doom wants to make the world a better place. 
And he is one in the Marvel universe. He's one of the most two, probably two most qualified men in any area. And Doom wanting to make the world a better place, he believes that the best way to do that is for him to be in charge. And that's what it comes down to. That's an awesome quote. I would love to see Doom fleshed out more. And I think I can I can buy that. If he believes that the that he is the best man for the job, I can relate to that. I honestly can. That's kind of the end of our discussion part. We want to talk a little bit about um, what we what we've got coming for you guys next week. Um, and then we also want to read a few of the reviews that we've we've been given. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what we have going on with next week. Uh, we're really excited about it. All of our Instagram, we're going to be spotlighting Asian characters um, with some of the things that have been going on with the news with, um, obviously, with the Asian hate we've been seeing. Uh, we wanted to do our part to kind of highlight that. Um, so one of the things we're going to do, our character breakdown is going to be Eraserhead who is a great superhero in My Hero Academia. So uh, we're going to do that. And then we're also going to um, break down a comic arc that is called Superman Smashes the Clan, um, which to give just a little bit of a, a headliner for you for that, uh, it, it was written in 2019. Um, and it, it basically takes place in the 1940s uh, when an Asian family moves into Metropolis and um, they move out of Chinatown into Metropolis and the Ku Klux Klan is trying to persecute them and Superman is literally fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Um, so if that doesn't spark your interest, I don't know what will. It's, it's really well done, a great story while hitting on some pretty interesting interesting racial themes. So we're excited to talk about that. I'm going to turn the time over to Trey to uh, read some of the reviews we've gotten um, on our Apple podcast. Yeah, so we just got our podcast up on Apple, I believe this past week or the week before. So we want to give a big shout out to anybody who had the chance to listen to us and look for us there. And especially to anybody who left us a five-star rating. So moving forward, we want to kind of read those ratings and, and just give you guys a shout out and a thank you. So the first one was from Cameron Looney. And he said, this podcast was so much fun to listen to. The three guys who put this together are great. I can really connect with them. It's a great way to get introduced to new comics. I love Jupiter's Legacy. And we'll read one more today, and this one is from Comic Guy One Two Three Four, and they said, "I love how they discuss comics in a way that makes the characters so approachable, and overall, the show is just a lot of fun." So, thank you guys very much for supporting us. If you do leave us a five star rating, we'll read a couple of those off each week, um, kind of as a thank you to you. And remember to check us out on Instagram. And we're going to post tomorrow. We're going to post our review of this story as we post the podcast. So, thank you guys very much. Okay, thanks, guys. See ya. Oh,